Hey everybody, welcome to the Free Ski Files podcast. I'm Nick Steers. It is October 2020 and I've taken the summer off, but I am back now. It's great to be back. When we started this in the springtime, it was the COVID-19 pandemic. It's just starting and there wasn't a lot of skiing happening. It was a great time to do podcasting. Here we find ourselves October 2020 and it's still the COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> there is going to be a ski season this year. That's the good news. It's probably going to be a modified ski season. A lot of the things that are happening in the world right now are probably going to be modified format until a vaccine emerges worldwide for COVID-19. So we're waiting anxiously for that, but we're all stoked that we will be able to ski at least a little bit. Probably a lot of people will be out touring this year and the ski hills will be open. So that is great news. Summer's been good, lots of projects happening on my end, but when you get a guest, like today's guest, you drop everything and you get on the line with him. Rinna Barkred is my guest today, coming from Åre, Sweden. He is a free ride world tour legend, folks. I say legend because look, this guy's a former world champion, three-time extreme verbier champion. That's the most prestigious event in the free ride world. And he also has been on the world tour. This is going to be season 13. One of the most senior guys to ever do it. He is just a really cool guy to talk to on the podcast. And I will give you fair warning. I get a little bit nerdy with Rena about free ride world tour and free ride skiing. I know that I don't give enough biography on people and I don't go deep into their background, but I can give you this tip for Rena. There's a great documentary out there and it is called Portrait Rinna Barkred, the mayor of Stomptown, and it's from the guys at freeride.com. Also, Collective Media has put it together. You have to watch it. It is fantastic. That is his nickname, the mayor of Stomptown, very apropos nickname, and he's just a gentleman. I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. Let's bring him in, Rinna Barkred. And now for an emergency announcement from the mayor. He is the master, really, of the high-speed stomp. He's the mayor of Stomptown. And he is a serious contender. They don't call him the mayor of Stomptown for nothing. Mr. Mayor, your administration has been one fiasco after another. Who the hell are you? Your press secretary. I knew I should have hired my nephew. I am your nephew. And I think we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, the mayor of Stomptown is in the house. Rene, are you there? I'm here. Hey, man. Thank you for doing this, buddy. Yeah, it's my pleasure. By the way, who coined that the, the, the that 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 nickname? How far back was that, Frankie Aliswag? How far back does that nickname go? Yeah, it was either Frank or Max, uh, one of the two. I can't I can't be sure to who it was, but yeah, it goes back to them. It's stuck. It's been passed down from announcer to announcer every season, and it's it's beautiful. I think it's very apropos. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. It, it does put on a little bit of pressure, though. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Mayor of Stomptown, who's this guy? Okay, let's see what he's got for sure, yeah. <laughs> so you are calling in from Arde, Sweden right now? That is correct. And I was seeing on your Instagram, it looks like you guys have been blessed by some snow already. Yeah, we got a little, little dust uh, coming down, so enough for cross-country skiing using old snow. I saw that, man. Yeah, that's great. So what is the... Typical, uh, like, are you guys will be open for skiing in November at RA kind of thing, or is it? It just depends on the season. Yeah, it just depends on the season. Like last year, we opened uh, mid-November and all the way to the top with beautiful conditions. And some years it's terrible, even at Christmas. But you know, say December first, we're usually pretty safe on being open. Yeah, and what is the scene right now in Sweden in terms of 
COVID-19. And for, I guess for those who are listening, if you're listening to this three years from now, it, it is October 2020 and the, the coronavirus pandemic is still going on. So what is the scene in Sweden at the moment? Is skiing just scheduled to go ahead as usual or has there been any changes projected for the way business is going to be handled there? Or? Uh, there's been some uh, restrictions uh, on certain things, but the skiing and the ski resorts have projected to open as usual. Uh, of course, with the management of lift lines, no upper skis, no nightclubs and all that kind of stuff. But the, the actual skiing should open unless something changed dramatically. Right. Now, Sweden kind of found itself in a very interesting position as it's like a focal point of the whole COVID-19 thing, especially in the spring. Like everybody around the world was watching various countries and Sweden was one that got focused on because the the the, the reaction that, I just read an article about a week ago, two, two articles from mainstream media and one of them said Sweden uh, had the model that was ahead of the rest of the world in terms of handling COVID-19 and everybody's catching up now. And then another article in mainstream media that said Sweden had an inferior model to uh, its neighbors in, in Scandinavia and they had a higher death rate and they bungled the, the, the handling of COVID-19. Do you pay attention to that kind of stuff or you do you just go, whatever, I'm, I'm going to you know, focus on myself, my career and, and, and let the chips fall where they may? Or are you watching everything that Sweden's doing and, and how the world is reacting to it? Uh, I'm definitely following it uh, and, and what's going on and, and, and what the world is saying. Uh, I, I guess a combination of both. I still try to go about my life as much as possible. I live in a very rural area. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, we're weirdly unaffected in, in one sense. That is right. easy to forget about what's going on. Uh, at the same time, so I do follow. And, and yeah, I read the same thing. One, one part says that, oh, it's the right way to go. And the other one says it's, it's a terrible idea. And I, I think we have to wait two, three years down the line before we can say if it was a good or a bad idea. Yeah, the problem is everybody wants to be right, and they want to be right right now, right? <laughs> like they want to, they want to be the ones to have said, "I told you so." Sweden are the ones that said, "You know, look at what they did; it was correct." And there's there's not a lot of room for nuance, it seems, when it comes to this discussion. But I think one of the big misunderstandings, from what I could read, is that Sweden did nothing, which which wasn't really the case. You guys didn't just stay completely wide open. Uh, it was it was more left up to the individuals to uh, make decisions about how they were going to uh, quarantine themselves or, or, or limit their uh, movements. And it seemed like people were cooperating to a certain extent. Is that Would, would that be right? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Uh, they, they trusted the population to do, to do what's right. And the focus became to uh, sort of protect uh, the sick and the elderly. Uh, and and not the healthy, so the healthy can go about, about and run society and keep the machinery going, yeah. uh, whilst protecting uh, the the ones that really needed protect uh, protection. And yeah. I mean, we're Scandinavians. We've been practicing social distancing for the last ten thousand years, so <laughs> we had a little bit of a head start there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, like Are in in that area where you guys are skiing, like. Do you do you get significant lift lines there, or is it is there basically always uh, a pretty fast route to the chair? And because you know you see in North America some of the lift lines that we get are absolutely insane. Do you still get those in in Aude? I haven't seen 
anything uh, of the size that I've seen in North America. However, the 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 lift lines in North America are way more orderly. Ours are <laughs> okay. more chaotic, and uh, I mean, if I see an opening a little bit ahead, I take it. That that's just yeah. a, that's just <laughs> how it goes here. Uh, so we normally don't have big lift lines. We have, uh, especially Orda has a lot of very modern lifts. We have eight seaters and a lot of that type of stuff. However, now with with the Corona restrictions, uh, you, you know, you're gonna be two people on every seat, or or four if you have an eight seater. Right. Uh, spread out so so you know we're gonna we're gonna end up with lines for sure so yeah. i think we need to look at the north american model on how to stand in lift lines yeah <laughs> yeah well let's see how it works for us this year too because there's definitely going to be some changes in terms of the north american uh lifts and and how many people are going to be allowed but i think it's just ultimately as things get going it's going to modify on the fly you know as people see how it really works in, in practice versus in theory, you know? Yeah, exactly. What, when I think of Sweden and I think of the, it, there's tons of famous skiers that come out of Sweden, but I think of the free ride world tour guys. And I, I you know, you go back to the guys like Kai Zackerson or uh, Sverre Lilleqvist and, and Henrik Winstead, and then of course yourself. And, and then you've got the, the, um, the Regner Eriksons and all kinds of, of, of great Swedish talent that made it onto the free ride world tour and excelled there. And I always wonder, like, is there a common denominator with you guys? Is it the Riksgrassen event that everybody kind of springboarded from that? Or would it be that everybody cuts their teeth at Are and, and at Are and they kind of ski there and, and, and learn to do free ride at that hill? Like, is Or is there no common denominator? Everybody's different. Uh, I think there's definitely is some, uh, uh, let's see if I can pronounce this, common denominator. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think there is. It's a combination, I would say. Uh, the Scandinavian Big Mountain Championship up in Riksgränsen definitely help and uh, uh, to to create a good free ride scene. And of course, uh, what a, a lot of people are attracted to to go here and, and practice and and motivate each other. Uh, we like to normally say why Scandinavian or Swedish skiers usually do well is because we we grow up in more like East Coast conditions. Right. As you would say over there, kind of firm snow and mistakes are uh, uh, severely punished <laughs> if you <laughs> yeah. something correctly. Uh, I can relate so, to that. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So it's it's always been like a drive to 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 ski in a certain way and ski very solid. And uh, of course, it's it's a snowball effect. You know, you got a couple of good skiers like the guys you mentioned before and Henrik Winstead and a bunch of guys that came before me and uh, you see those guys you want to do what they do and then it just builds from there and I think people Swedes in particular are pretty good at traveling as well so a lot of people have been to the Alps and really had time to practice in the big mountains as well Um, yeah that's a good that's a very good point you see Swedes everywhere you can go you can go around the world I remember going to um Gulmarg in Kashmir in India, skiing there, and the first person I saw was a Swedish guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember coming down to the Alps to St. Anton and and Alberg, and they have Swedish TV stations down there. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Well, uh, by the way, shout out uh, Christopher Turdell. I forgot to mention him on those names, Uh, so obviously another very... Ah, he's uh, a right... Yeah, <laughs> in case he's listening, I, I, uh, I forgot to include him in that list. So 
look, it's, it's been announced you will be returning to the tour this coming season. But looking back at this last season, obviously your event, I call it your event, the, the Verbi Extreme, the 25th anniversary of it, it got cancelled. And it was kind of the beginning of the, the pandemic in Western Europe anyways. How bummed were you about that? I mean, everybody was bummed, but how bummed were you in particular? Because you usually uh, excel at that event. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, super bummed uh, to not do it. And it, it's. I saw pictures of it before we got there uh, of the Beck, uh, yeah. which is the venue, and it, it never looked better. So it would have been definitely a pretty good 20, 25 year anniversary event. So bummed for that, but considering uh, considering everything that was going on and was happening, it's hard to be too bummed out because everything sort of shifted into a sort of, oh my God, what's going on, survival mode. And stuff like that actually gets kind of small, you know? Yeah. It's You, you realize how, okay, it's not that important. We can go back next year. Um, what I added to that probably was that we weren't supposed to have the final on, until like even two weeks later normally, but they called us in two weeks early to go there right. for the finals because they saw what was going on and was probably what was going to happen. Uh, so already when they start calling us down, like, hey, can you be here in two days? We we already started to be like a little bit on the fence. It's like, I don't know, you see, you see what's going on. And uh, uh, so, so even... If, if you had looked that closely, you had seen obviously how much snow coverage and everything. Had you gone as far as been like, okay, I see where how the Beck is shaping up this year versus, I mean, you more than anybody had a lot of experience on that phase. So had you already gone as far as being like, I pretty much know what line I'm going for this season? Uh, yeah, I had actually drawn up six different lines, all of which, or five of which has not been done, but I deemed that this is probably doable in the snowpack. So... Oh my god! Yeah. So Dude. that would have been uh, that would have been great. I, I suppose that uh, and you know good good fresh snowfall on the event. I mean, if it's good snowpack or thick snowpack but terrible snow, it doesn't really help. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely had opened a lot of lines. My main concern was that I tend to do better when the back looks terrible. Okay. When it's when it's extremely challenging, challenging snow conditions, and um, because when it when it gets a little bit more filled in, a lot of the other guys, especially the ones that are a little bit smoother in the air and uh, more freestyle orientated, uh, gets a little bit of benefit. Right. So the scarier, the better for me. I don't. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm liking it. It's just better for me. <laughs> right. That's uh, and for those that don't know, Rinna has won it three times. And for for a lot of us that have been involved in competitive free ride for a long time, like I take it myself, like I've stood at the the base of the back many times and I've looked at it from afar or from the tram and stuff like that. And I've competed on a lot of different venues, both in North America and and, and Europe. And as have a lot of free riders, free riders who have been on the free ride world tour. All of us n- never making it to the back, never getting our opportunity to to really see what it's like. How would you describe it to some people like us who do have an idea of certain venues or of all the other world tour venues? What is the step up truly like? Because obviously there's a significant step up on the Beck de Ross. That's why there's there's the significant cut to get there. So 
what for you who's done it so many times, how would you describe that step up? Is it that significant? Uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of is. It depends on what you, where you come from, obviously, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty big step up. And it doesn't help that it has this, you know, sort of legendary status. So right. even without seeing it, you're going into it with like, oh my God, how's how's that gonna go? And um, it's a big step up in multiple uh, for multiple um, reasons. One and the main one is that the whole thing more or less is a no fall zone. Right. It's deep enough that you will uh, pick up momentum if you fall. You will not mm-hmm. stop. You will not slow down. You will most likely just start going faster. The problem on the back is not to go fast. It's to slow down. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. Like when you watch somebody's POV shot of hitting the Hollywood cliff, it's not so much hitting the cliff itself. It's the landing and making sure that you're on top of your skis to be able to reel it in enough. Like, I don't know if you saw that video that the tour posted not long ago of GT Holmes, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Yep. Just a classic example of what you just described, you know, was he was just a little bit backseat on his landing, got bucked. And then it was like, oh, man, this is not good. Yeah, I remember that day. He was a little bit shooken up. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. So yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like the whole, if the whole face is a no fall zone, then uh, you're going to be a little bit more tentative on your takeoffs. You're going to be want to. You're going to be. You're definitely going to want to be sure you're over your skis on your landing. And and uh, I could see that for sure. That's a yeah. good way of putting it. And uh, and of course that that creates a difficulty that depending on what events you've done before, you might not have landing terrain that steep that often and had to keep going so just like you said you need to be really forward on your skis and committed the whole way otherwise it it won't work yeah. uh, that on top of uh, the other big issue on the back is that it is kind of a maze there, right. there's a couple now i've done it 12 uh, 11 times now and so i know a couple of routes down and know what to look for but when i looked at it the first few years i was like how, how am i gonna even find my line up there mm-hmm when you yeah. look back at your your competitive career, and I've said this publicly before, you know, like you and Drew uh, are are pretty incredible in that not only have you guys managed to stay around for so long, but you've also managed to stay pretty damn relevant. Like, and no disrespect to to Drew, like he's I love watching him. When he's one of my favorite guys, but I think in your case, you have actually I think he's had a wild card or two, and in your case. You have requalified year after year. Am I correct in that? Like you've never been relegated before. Yeah, that, that's that's correct. Dude, that is amazing, man. So this is going into this season. This will be how many now? Uh, this will be my thirteenth season. Wow. That's so to awesome. be fair, Drew, he did it one year earlier than I. He started in two thousand and eight, but didn't do it in two thousand and ten. I came in in two thousand and nine. So I did a qualifier in two thousand eight. So. Yeah. So we have we have the same amount of years, actually, total yeah. years. Right. And and you know the, in his case, w- w- you know the wild cards, it's they were very very well deserved wild cards, and then he came back and he requalified again, showing that those wild cards were very valid. So uh, again, no disrespect there at all, but I'm just more highlighting the fact that you have stayed so relevant that you've been qualifying year after year. Like, what do you attribute that to? Do you think is like that's a very high level of consistency. Is it? Is that just competitive drive, or do you think that comes down to strategy, or is that something else? Well, that's a good question. Uh, first, I have to 
just realized something. There was one year, two years ago, for family reason, I had to withdraw from the final events. Okay. Uh, so technically, it didn't requalify, but uh, if I just had started that day, even if I didn't even make it to the finish line, I would have qualified. It was the fact that I was not at the event. Right. But <clears throat> so was I was that, sitting was in that, a pretty good position before. Was that was that extreme verbier at that point? No, we were. That was on Dora. Oh, okay. Okay. And I had to leave the day before. I see. The event. But uh, I would have qualified. I would have qualified. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt, man. Do you think? Do you think it is like? something to do with um i mean i guess there's the filming side of it like some guys get maybe somebody would have had that type of longevity but they really get hung up on on filming projects and they they, their focus drifts it doesn't seem like that was a big uh pull to you like your main focus seemed to be competing on the world tour and any other projects were significantly secondary would that be a good assessment yeah yeah i think that's that's fair fair to say uh yeah, I liked competing, and uh, I liked sort of the tactics tactics of it, and uh, the camaraderie, yeah. and in some sense, it's easy. You get your schedule, you show up where you need to be, and you, you do your run, and then you have a pretty big season to, to ski and do other smaller things on the side. Uh, yeah. One other thing I was going to attribute maybe to this is this is my observation that might attribute to your longevity would be anybody who's paid attention to Rina Barkered and the genesis of his career would probably notice the implementation of a backflip that came uh, into the mix probably a few years ago, but certainly over the last couple of years, it's been honed to be near perfection. And anybody who watched the Rene of old would not see that backflip. So that seemed to me like you made some sort of adjustment and said, well, the tour is becoming more and more difficult to place well without the implementation of some sort of a trick. And that seemed to be the one that you gravitated towards. How did that happen exactly? It seemed to just all of a sudden you went from no, the no trick guy to the perfect backy guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you said it. Uh, I saw the necessity to to involve, uh, evolve a little bit, and all, not not only for the judges' sake, but for my own sake to sort of feel like I'm I'm still developing. It, yeah. It, it's really hard to keep developing on the sort of oh, I'm just gonna go faster and you know stomp stomp the trick uh, the cliffs cleaner and stuff. So. You have to take a little bit of different approach just to to keep yourself motivated because I noticed like ah if you do a backflip a day when you're out skiing that day becomes a really good day all of a sudden <laughs> even if it was kind of crappy before. Yeah, I can understand. So how did you approach it to bring it into the comp? Did you do some sort of uh, off season just honing of it, or were you already super confident and you're just like now's the time to to break it out, or did you? consciously decide like i need to do a bunch more practice and get this to where i want it to be and then and then implement it a little bit of a mix i i did a lot of like um trampolining and stuff um even even when i was younger and and a few smaller backflips on snow in in the early days but never really polished it right um but i noticed at least on um on a lot of things like i still felt pretty secure on them i wasn't just confident on snow mm-hmm. uh, with a little bit of 
and not having any formal training on it. But yeah, it was actually the local mogul guys here in Aura who's like, no, it looks like you get pretty good awareness there. You should definitely try to step that up on, on, on bigger and better stuff. And, you know, give me some good pointers, which I never had before, uh, which, which helped a great deal. And then I went to try to dial it in and yeah, outside of competition, there there are few few and far in between, and that usually comes down to condition. And you know, I don't want to get hurt before a competition, stuff right. like that. But yeah. uh, and for some reason, they 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 just work out when I'm in yeah. when I'm in competition mode. Dude, you, do, so they far, do, they, do they ever? Do they do they ever? Oh yeah, man. No, you've got them dialed, and uh, that's a pretty mature adjustment to make. And especially especially in your 30s you know like it's easy when you're 18 to to say okay i'm just going to start hucking myself around but you were already a uh, well-established athlete and you were succeeding and like i've asked this in previous podcasts but i'll run this by you what do you think is the likelihood of a guy maybe your imr navarro type guys that, that probably won't be do, we won't see tricks from they're going to take the burliest line they're going to send the biggest errors probably what do you think the likelihood of those guys being the overall winner is now at this point? It, it, it seems like even in the ladies, you know, like it's it's going to be hard to pull it off without having some element of freestyle in your game. Yeah. Yeah. We've had many discussions about this. And my conclusion has usually been that's going to depend on depend on what kind of venues we get. Right. If we get five events with Vector Rosses, Ayman Avado could win it easily. Good point. Uh, but if we're doing more Japan and, and and kicking horse events, no, you gotta you gotta throw it in there. It's it you can't find barely enough lines to outweigh the tricks. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. That's and, a, that's a good that's way to a put problem. it. Yeah. But it, it it is a problem, but it also speaks to a more well-rounded rider at the end of the day, right? I guess. Yeah. So I guess if you don't have that freestyle element, I mean, it's it, fair is fair. You know, that we're, we're looking at free rides. So, you yes, you, you certain guys will favor certain venues. Other guys will favor other ones. We saw Tanner Hall do very well in Japan, for example, in his first event that he did there. And But at the end of the day, probably the guys that are going to win the overall are the guys that can do a little bit of both, right? Yeah, that's that's definitely true, and I think that's a really cool development. Uh, I just wish, in in one sense, that the idea and and what's let's say that it's in the rule book or how we, what we strive for is that on any event, any style of riding should be able to win. And on some venues, I feel like that's that's not the case. Right. Uh, so I I, I will. Would like to see a, like a better mix. If if it's one or one or two out of uh, four events that is like that, it's fair enough. Because like yeah. you said, it's the best way to show who's the most all-rounded and, and can step it up. Uh, so you, you know, you've been a guy who's been part of the the pro freeriders board, and you've been a leader in uh, that side of of you know bringing the athlete perspective to the freeride world tour. But if you had the magic wand, then here you're, you're Nico for the day, or or you just can. <laughs> You wave your magic wand and you can make some adjustments. Do you already know in your mind what you would do in, in order to make those changes? Yeah, and it's actually it's actually not that hard, and it's it's probably what Nico would do too. It's just so many other factors that's come into it. I would like the rules are fine. 
I think if if you can ski a huge line and throw backflips and tricks in that line, yeah, that's that's what we want to see. What we are missing and what I would use my magic wand for is that we 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 get bigger venues, basically. It right. not doesn't all have to be back to us because it's terrifying and not that much fun if you have to do it every time. But there's so many great venues out there, uh, and for different reasons we can't be on them or we're not on that resort. Um, like I, I want to, I would love to go back to Revelstoke and McDaddy, yeah. For example, amazing venue, uh, stuff like that. Go back to Chamonix to the to the big mountains there. Yeah. Um, that that's the only thing I would change. The rest, I'm just like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to get Nico on. To, to I've I've actually been talking uh, with Nico about coming on and discussing some of that side because I'm sure, like you alluded to, there's so many variables that go into apart from just size of the venue as as to what appeals to the athlete there's also all the partnership side of things and broadcasting and you know being able to deliver the the event as we're used to seeing it so i i do understand it but uh i'm totally with you there's also some really great qualifier venues like we have uh the kirkwood venue here in uh the the cirque as we call it in uh in north america and then in, in europe they have the Obergurgel face, which is a four-star face, which is really great, and I'm sure you probably have a ton in your in your mind already of of uh, Alaska as well. Obviously, Alaska is probably the epitome of it, right? Like Alaska is the epitome of being able to choose those burly lines, but not having the other factors there to really coincide with what the tour needs to have in terms of like what was that experience like when you went to Alaska? A lot of a lot of hurry up and wait, I guess. Oh, definitely. I mean, amazing <laughs> to ski there. Like, yeah. uh, the sec, especially the second time I was there, the second run, I was like, it's very rarely I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself mid-run, like, oh, this is so much fun. <laughs> I'm usually way too focused on that, but that was definitely it. But yeah, huge hurry up and wait game. Uh, the logistics, uh, being on the pro freeride board, I get some insights to what the organization is doing all the time. And so I, I I would start blindfolded before I had to do their job. I can tell you yeah. that it, the logistic is just a nightmare. You have to get so much material and equipment up there, staff to be taken care of, and like, yeah, you guys, you're gonna camp up there for a week. Here's here's your here's your <laughs> sleeping bag and, and a few rations. Have fun. Oh my god. And, uh, and of course, yeah, the weather. The weather is a nightmare there. You never know when you get to go. And. Uh, I think the f- some year, first year we had like four false starts where it didn't happen and just it yeah. just drained us. And you know, sitting down there in town for ten days not skiing, it's it's not awesome. No, uh, right? I could see that. Worth yeah. it in the end, but the commitment is just too big. Yeah. Well, in your case, I guess you were lucky because uh, for those that don't know, you probably you had your wife along with you, right? Jackie was. Uh, competing on the world tour for many years i believe has decided she's retiring this season but she was with you on all those trips right so you 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 weren't exactly leaving your family behind so to speak no that's that's right um yeah she just retired this year and we've been traveling around on the tour since 2011 so um yeah that has definitely been way easier on us have each other and nothing to stress back to uh i can't imagine the guys that uh, guys and girls that have kids at home yeah um and, and other commitments to to stress back to that uh so big ups to those people that can do that uh so yeah we were pretty lucky i'm wondering about that relationship you know that you have with jackie and and 
for those again that don't know, I, I recommend checking Jackie Passo's uh, lines out. There's so many good uh, runs that she's done, and she, if there is a Freeride World Tour Hall of Fame, she will be in it for sure. And uh, with her stepping away and you continuing on this season, is there something that you're going to lose in terms of the competition side of whether it be you know you got somebody to bounce your lines off of at nighttime or whatever? Or do you do you think well it's just from a competition side, for me, it's just going to be business as usual. Or are you losing some advantages with Jackie stepping away? I have to be very careful with my words. <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> nah, you know, it's. Uh, I've been thinking about this. It's it's the hard, the really hard part is going to be <laughs> it's the most unromantic thing ever. But like the logistics is going to be harder. Yeah, like, I, can I see always that. had my travel partner. I always had one to share the car with and the hotel rooms and. Now, yeah. now I'm gonna be put in the, in the, in a name in a hat and see who I get to room with on the on the stops because me and Jackie was treated pretty well as a married couple. Like we got the best <laughs> rooms and, you know, they couldn't put it in in the room with four other guys because yeah, you know, they're married. Like they have to, yeah, they have to yeah, do their yeah. own thing. So stuff like that was pretty good. Um, yeah. At the same but time, you the... you missed out a little bit of a you know camaraderie and hanging out with other people. Yeah, no doubt, yeah. no doubt. But um, that, so, so with with Jackie stepping away, and you're going to continue on. What is the thought process for you now? I mean, obviously, like we spoke about in terms of you know, the competition side, you're still super relevant. You've brought the backflip into your game. You're competing, you know, with all the young guys coming up, and in a lot of cases, beating them. And you're skiing as well as you ever have. Is there reason to think? Well, maybe I, I need to start thinking along the lines of retirement as well or is or, or is there no need for that i mean i think of guys like you know stefan hauser and and guys like seb nisho and some of these guys that competed late into their 30s and that's when they really hit their stride you know so um maybe have you put i'm sure you have obviously put some thought into it but what is the what is the outlook for you right now you're thinking this this season if i win it all i step away or or you're going to continue it until the wheels fall off uh the the former there. If I win this season, I would step away. <laughs> okay. Uh, just like you kind of have to at that point because like you want to end up on top and uh, realistically you can I can do this for a few more years and I want to do it for a few more years. I mean it's mostly other people around me. It's like, oh, aren't you thinking about quitting? It's like, no, not until you start talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because like I still feel like I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm doing pretty well. If I was just scraping by and barely making the cut every year, yeah, then I would step away for sure. Uh, yeah. Leave room well, for the, you know, the youngers. You're, t- you're, you're, you're talking to a guy who's also in the same boat of scraping by and barely making the cut every year. And I'm same age as you and I keep doing it. And the way I look at it is there's a finite amount of time that you have as an athlete where you can do these types of things, you know, and, and that that window isn't, it doesn't have a set number, you know, I, and I, I remind myself that if your heart is still in it and your mind is still in it and your body still works, then if you want to keep doing it, then you kind of have a responsibility to yourself to keep doing it until that window is up, you know? So, uh, I'm still enjoying it and I still like scaring myself and, and just challenging myself. And even though, uh, I'm not, uh, probably a threat to be qualifying for the tour, I think, factors are are uh, are still there so i think that you know in in your case you probably should consider that as well you know like you're, 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 <laughs> you have the opposite you're still very relevant as well and um you know i think of the guys that are like doing ironmans and stuff like that you know they 
they hit they hit it in their 30s they hit it in their early 40s sometimes you know so the number thing is it's a strange one i guess it comes with other expectations in life that people start looking at and saying well when are you going to do a family and when are you going to start this and you should be uh, having a company by now or whatever and um but they don't understand how finite that window is of being an athlete right that's a very good point and you yeah you hit the head on the nail there it's exactly yeah. like you say and uh, so we're gonna so so we know we're gonna see you this year and we'll go from there bottom line we we know we're gonna be getting uh at least one more exciting season and uh we're possibly possibly more but we'll uh we'll should see be too i have to do this until i'm 40. nice okay <laughs> great there's the scoop for people. If anybody's wondering, Rene's is there until he's 40, unless he wins this year, in which case he rides off into the sunset happily. <laughs> so yeah. I was, I was going to uh, just come back to Jackie for a second. And, and the women, you know, we were talking earlier about bringing the freestyle into your game. And I think about what the women have done in recent years and, Jackie probably one of the at the forefront of that evolution and and just seeing what has happened with the the women's ski category in particular what is your take on that i mean obviously you have inside insight but living with Jackie and watching her kind of push the envelope in terms of throwing backies and and you know challenging the other girls and 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 Ari Tricomi as well coming in with a lot of different things that we haven't seen from ladies in the past you've been around a long time what are you seeing out there yeah, uh, like you said, it's they've definitely been pushing it, and we see the tricks coming in now, and it's it's, it's really great. It's uh, awesome to see, and Jackie has I feel contributed a lot to. She's been going big, like really big throughout her career. It's like all or nothing, yeah, um, type of thing. Uh, the problem with doing that is that you need a pretty big big start group, so more people are willing to risk it, uh, right? To do it, if you're the only one, it's difficult. <laughs> Um, because, yeah, it, it can go bad sometimes, but she's definitely taken the sport to a new level there. Uh, worth remembering, though, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time. We had some really amazing uh, skiers back in the day, too, with uh, uh, the Hargen sisters, uh, Jeanette and, and Christine, for example. Uh, right. Of course, I'm only mentioning Swedes now. <laughs> but, <laughs> and others, of course, and Maria Persson, also another Swede. Uh, like Jeanette, she she was one of the strongest skiers I have ever seen, uh, and uh, she she was an Alpine World Cup racer. She had she podiumed in Alpine World Cup, so you know she's probably the strongest skier of anyone on the start line, uh, in uh, in technique. And I think it's important to remember uh, those girls and the progression they made. Like you can have different kinds of progression. Now we see a lot of freestyle progression. Uh, then we had a little more charging progression, which has maybe gone down and the freestyle had gone up and then it's going to meet somewhere in the middle, uh, I think. Yeah, uh, that's a really good. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's true for the men, too. Uh, kind of goes up and down on, on what you want to see more of. Uh, what do you think in terms of um, you know, I, I'm thinking of women and their evolution. And uh, did, did you watch the Kings and Queens of Corbett uh, event? I watched a little it, bit, yeah. Yeah, what do you think of an event like that where, where it's more of a one-hit focus? You know, where th there's a little bit of connecting a line afterwards, but it's primarily geared towards one big one big feature 
Do you, do mm-hmm. you ever see a future of something like that in, in the, that could be connected into the world tour system? I don't know. It, those events kind of scare me in some way because a little bit because I've been thinking about it myself. A <laughs> uh, little backstory is that in, in order, we don't have a venue. Like I've been looking to have a competition here for years. And I was like, yeah, we, we don't have a venue. There's no linked run you could do. But we have no, spots. Like we have not, a even, here. not even like a three-star event or something? Oh, no, no, no. I think no? we could maybe do like a, a, a junior event. Okay. And it's not the lack of terrain or steepness. It's just where it is steep, there's no features. Right. And where there's features, it's one. It's a one-hit thing. Like big and scary for sure. Like you can definitely yeah, push yourself in order. That's not the problem. It's just that nothing links up really. The mountain is too spread out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was thinking of having similar stuff like that, like do a mini golf contest with nine holes. You you do hole one and that's this cliff. And then you go to the next cliff and you do something there. But I quickly realized like, no, wait a minute. I've seen the, like the, the gang shred days here when people kind of do that. And, you know, after four, the fourth or fifth jump, people are just starting hucking themselves to oblivion. <laughs> and it's like, this is probably not a good format for an official competition. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Corbett seems to be uh, pretty like people try to land and and like do very well there, so it seems safe, safe enough. Uh, I'm just I'm just afraid what something a more open contest or a qualifying contest like that would look like. Yeah, I, I get it. It, it. it also speaks to almost a different skill set. You know, there's not really any line finding involved in it, right? Like the line finding is part of what people know Rinna Barkered for. You know, look at that look at that line that he's taken. And if, if the line is just pointed and hit one feature, it takes pretty major skill set of free ride out of the equation. Uh, that's true too. Is it true? Yeah. Um, but still it can be fun. It's just I'm I'm just afraid that it would turn into a, a hack fest full of injuries. Oh that's what it is. <laughs> oh for sure okay. that, it, that is what it is but uh, it's it, it, cer- <laughs> it certainly has garnered lots of interest and uh, we've seen high level athletes gravitate towards it and I I just uh, so, you know you look at we were talking about the women you know I saw Veronica Paulson a friend of mine uh, through a huge backflip you know it was beautiful. and uh, yeah it was beautiful stomped it and um, just just again it's just all uh, it, it contributes to progression at the end of the day of athletes pushing their limits. It may not be the same sport. It may not really have a place connected to the Freeride World Tour, but there are certainly some parallels there, I would say. Definitely. And uh, you know what? It's kind of that way I've learned to be comfortable with big cliffs. We're sessioning a huge cliff, kind of like you do there, over and over. And you just push yourself every time and you have your friends cheering you on. That's, that's how you progress, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Do you, um, you know, speaking of Ore and, and the potential of putting on an event there and the junior and qualifier events, like, I think, I think I, this comes to mind when I see guys that are big movie star skiers that come into the tour, and we've seen a few of them in the past, and probably with the exception of uh, Travis Rice and obviously Candide when he did the tour, who the, both those guys did enormously well, but Usually we see the, the, the movie star skiers come in and they're, the bar is kind of equalized with the rest of the athletes. If not, some of these unknown riders who have come out of the qualifiers uh, are, are, are passing them, you know, and, and uh, excelling even uh, more because they have that 
competition background. I, I just wonder, like, how important do you think that is? Because when you started, there probably wasn't that infrastructure, you know, and these kids coming at a junior out of the qualifier tour that we're seeing now are seem to be so much further along than where the way the people came into free ride in the past used to be. Like, how big an advantage do you think it is for someone to start in junior, work their way to the FWQ, come out of the FWQ, and then hit the FWT versus a guy who's a movie star who just got wildcarded into the into the show kind of thing? Oh, I think it's a huge advantage. Uh, yeah. I mean, you just the fact that you know what the judges really look for and and to be able to collect yourself on the start line like we can see the the movie skiers we've had that has still have a background in competition even if it's freestyle competition they seem to do a little bit better and i think mm -hmm. it's that competition mode and and deal with the competition stress uh that's a, that plays a big factor are you a competitor in that sense uh that makes a big difference um and you know, if you have, if you have done 50 starts from free red competition, of course that's going to be a, it's going to be a massive difference. And I'm thinking for film writers coming in, uh, my friend Henrik Winstead said it. He's like, well, it's kind of tough because you might have just everything to lose and nothing to gain, in the sense very, that very yeah. well spoken. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, that's it's, and that's why I have a lot of respect for those guys like Tanner Hall, who obviously had tons of eyes on him and. If if he won, it would have been expected, right? If he lost, mm -hmm. then he had he is yeah. It's exactly as Henrik said it. You know, there's lots to lose and not much to gain. But at the same time, if you're going to go for it, you're clearly doing it for your own motivations, and I think that's pretty awesome. You know, you're ch you're you're challenging yourself and you're disregarding what everybody else thinks and just just seeing how you stack up next to these guys. It can't be easy, you know, to come in with expectations like that, but then have these guys that nobody has ever heard of that are just incredible, incredible skiers because they've been groomed, you know, for since they were 14 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, and it kind of, like, if you go in like that, like Tanner has, and you have a good attitude about it, and, you know, you're looking at you, like you said, you're looking at your skiing, that's going to shine through and, you know, it's going to turn people around too to like, oh, it's just fun to have them there, you know? Yeah. Um, Who do you look at in the in the up and comers that are there right now that you're like, okay, this guy is he's going to be the next you know world champion or he's going to be doing he just blows you away. You know, is there any? But I mean, obviously, probably everybody, but there must yeah. be some guys in particular that jump out at you as like, man, this guy is awesome. Or maybe that we don't see in competition that that you would see it just cruising around that everybody wouldn't know like. Maybe this guy's results aren't the best, but he is sneaky awesome. Oh, yeah, I have a few of those. Uh, some of them have been on tour, too. But, uh, yeah, some of the best, I would say, some of the best skiers I know don't compete or are extremely unheard of. Right. But still, I'm super impressed. Uh, like my friend Eric Sonnerheim, uh, he was on the tour a few years. But, like, when he free skied, it was like, what? That is that is not possible. That is not humanly possible. But he's just it. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, crazy stuff. But yeah, on the up and comers, I want to say everyone. Like there, there's so many uh, good talent. Uh, Isaac kind of blew me away with his coming into Andorra with his switch. What was it? Switch, switch underflip. Switch yeah. underflip. I was like, yeah, well, yeah. I think I was standing on the stock bridge, and I was like, what? Okay, so so that's where we are. 
Yeah. So let's go. And uh, yeah, and you know, th- there's so many different types too. I see people that just have amazing style. They just look so good when they ski. Maybe they don't hack the biggest cliffs or uh, or anything, but like Pollard, he looks super smooth when he skied. It's awesome. No to doubt. Watch. Yeah, no doubt. That is Pollard's thing. Is is he's yeah. just got Not the saying best that he style. Doesn't and... go big, no, no, no. I know what you're saying. I totally agree with what you're saying. Like you, he has the smoothest style, and and that that scores well with the judges as well. You know, it just makes everything look so so fluid as he's skiing. So um, for mm-hmm. sure, shout out to Andrew Pollard. Um, and um, of course, Christopher Turdell and and um, Leo Slemet hardly rookies but it's still like yeah that's yep that's that's one another level (laughs) that's a good point you know i i meant to ask you that like when like christopher and like leo you guys are really you know you've carved out a niche as kind of the superstars of the free ride world tour that may not be the big film stars but like there's there's got to be certain value there to the freeride world tour. I guess this is more probably more a question for Nico, but there's obviously major value into bringing in these movie star skiers and uh, and bringing their following along. But people tune into the tour year after year and they see faces like that, and those are the guys that they start to know, they connect with because you guys are are there. You have seniority. You're always putting down solid runs and and. You guys are probably uh, bring a lot of value to the tour. Those those senior kind of high level, just like you said, Leo and Christopher and, and yourself. Like, th- there's got to be a major value to the free ride world tour to have a, a, a Drew Tabke, have those guys around that are characters, right? They're characters that when people tune in, they're used to seeing and expecting a certain level of skiing. Uh, I, I hope so. I didn't know, but okay, yeah, <laughs> that's great. To, that's. <laughs> well, uh... it, if it, was a revolve, if it was a revolving door of, of, of no-name skiers, it would be different. Let's put it that way. You know, oh, yeah. W- yeah. I can see yeah. that. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm watching the, the downhill mountain bike World Cup. And I kind of like seeing those names come back year after year. For sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that's true. I, fi- I think the highest value we have is – I'm only speaking for myself, but I, I show up in time. I think that's why Nico keeps me around. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's there's definitely something to be said about that. That'll translate well to the corporate world when you're retired. They're gonna love you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, uh, I can't wait to watch this coming season. This is uh, it's been great to chat with you. I I I will wish you good luck, and um, you know I hope to uh, see you out on the mountain if we cross paths. But if not, I will be watching. I will be cheering, and we all will be. Have a good uh, start to the season in Sweden. Thanks very much for doing this. Oh, thank you very much. And a pleasure talking to you. It's awesome. Yeah, likewise, buddy. All right, folks, Rena Barkred, the mayor of Stomptown. There you have it, folks. Another great conversation. What a fun guy. Everybody in the free ride world is so humble. I've said that before, but it makes for just great conversations, honest conversations with smart people. I love that. I'm going to keep it going here. The Free Ski Files podcast, you can find us on Spotify and on iTunes. I want to thank you for listening. We will see you again very soon.